Welcome in, everybody, to episode number five of the Next on Deck Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Deegs. You can find me on Twitter at Deegs Baseball. Joining me as always, you can find him on Twitter at Ven underscore Armbarn, the newest member of the 1,000 plus Twitter follower club, Mr. Ryan Manancio. How are we doing? Good, Diggs. What's going on, man? Just hanging in here. Excited. Excited today. Today's a big day. Talking shortstops, the deepest position in all of fantasy baseball, arguably the most important position in regular baseball too as well. So big day, big day for us today. There's obviously a ton of good players to talk about here at shortstop. Um, and we're going to break them down for you guys today. So um, if you're new to the show, first of all, thank you for joining us. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We've been making our way around the diamond in terms of uh, NFBC ADP. Uh, started with catchers, then obviously worked our way first base, second base. Now we're at shortstop. Third base will follow, and we'll go from there. So uh, there's not many. There's not much news to talk about, really. Obviously, we're in a lockout right now. Nothing crazy has happened. So we're just gonna jump in here. We're looking at ADP today from November 16th to December 16th. So that's one month. I think Ryan mentioned that was 14 drafts. Um, just kind of here looking at this from uh, you know as someone who's been monitoring this obviously has been doing as we've been doing podcasts, there have been some changes here, some fluctuations in the top 10. And the very first one is at the top. Trey Turner is now on average, the number one overall pick uh, in, in, in drafts in general, um, but of the shortstop crop as well. Uh, Tatis drops to number two. We've talked about Turner pretty extensively on the second base ADP. I, th I think we all agree he's a stud. He plays for the best team in baseball. He's going to be at the top of that lineup. He runs, he hits, whatnot. So we're not really going to spend much time talking about him. Uh, Ryan, let's 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 start with Tatis here at, at number two. Um, he is shortstop and outfield eligible. I, I don't know if he's going to retain that outfield eligibility after this year. So this might be the year to get him to where you can play him around wherever you want. If you want to play him in the outfield and grab two stud shortstops to pencil into your lineup. But Tatis, the only concern really is the injury, right? Like we know that since he's been in the big leagues, he's been a superstar, but he has been riddled with injuries, uh, most notably the shoulder, which he will not be getting surgery on. Um, I guess if, if you're just playing in a regular redraft, let's say it's a home league, it's a $50 league, stuff like that. You got to feel okay taking Tatis towards the top because of how talented he is. But let's say you're playing in a high stakes league, you know, you know, you're putting in $400 for uh, an NFBC DC, or you're playing in those $1,500 leagues. Are you comfortable taking a guy that does have risk attached to him, essentially number one or number two overall? I'm so torn on Tatis because I was reading um, a piece uh, on The Athletic while I was prepping for the episode, and it's really interesting. The Padres have several players on their team that have gotten the surgery that uh, Tatis could have gotten. Um, I believe Skip Schumacher ha had it twice. Uh, Jake Cronenworth got it. Jerks and Profar, obviously, as we know, his career was basically derailed by shoulder injuries. Um, I believe he had the surgery multiple times. It's just so interesting. They all had a different opinion, um, basically talking about uh, whether or not to get the surgery. And they were all okay with Tatis not getting it and, you know, said that uh, they think he's going to be healthy. Obviously, they're not doctors, but the Padres doctors thought it was smart enough for Tatis not to get the surgery. I'm just so torn. 
on whether or not I, I go back and forth every day on whether or not I want Tatis because on one hand, he hurt, he hurt his shoulder five times last year, five times. And he still hit 42 homers with 25 steals, hundred runs and an a thousand OPS basically. So how could neck, just think about this logically. How could it go worse next year? Right? Like, is his yeah. shoulder going to get worse? Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, the I'm only way the only way it goes worse is if he uh, fully tears like his labrum or something. Like, if if something fully rips off and fully tears, then he's done. I don't think he can play through that. Um, but I mean, if he plays if he plays 155 games. He's, he could hit 60 home runs. I know that's crazy to say, uh, but uh, I, really, I, I really don't think it's that crazy to say. He's going to be 23. He just as a 22 year old, he just hit 42 homers. In I, I really, he's the most I talented really, player in baseball. And maybe it's because I'm a Padres fan. I don't know. But if, if he plays 155 games and gets 650 at bats, he could hit 60 home runs and steal 20 to 25 bases. Now, I, I, understand, I fully understand. I think we need to talk about the stolen base ceiling with Tatis. Um, I, I do think the Padres are going to try to rein him in a, a little bit. I know he's a freak and he plays the way he plays, but like he's already been hurt one time stealing a base. His rookie season, I believe. No, it was, it was in double A. In double A the year before he came up, he broke his hand sliding into second base. Um, the whole move to the outfield was to keep him from, you know, being a freak and diving all over the place and getting injured, which doesn't make sense because you got to dive in the outfield too. But um, there is something to say where, where like the way he plays, it's like a Byron Buxton recklessness, like reckless abandonment. The guy just is a hundred percent all the time. You know, you see some big leaguers hit routine ground balls and they jog them out and it's totally fine because like, you're totally mitigating the injury risk by not sprinting every single time. This guy sprints every single time he hits a ground ball to shortstop or every time he hits a routine ground ball, it is a hundred percent busting his ass out of the box. So like he is this guy. Um, and I think it's in the, it's in his best interest to not be that guy in my opinion, personally, to stay healthy. So to your point, um, after he had, I believe the Last time he hurt his shoulder, he ended up missing like two weeks and he came back August 15th. So to your point, from August 15th to October 3rd, roughly a month and a half, 180 plate appearances, he only had three stolen base attempts. Yeah. So so over a full season, that's like eight steals. And his Babbitt was 317, which led to a 260 average, which also goes to your point that maybe he wasn't going all out. Um, a lot of his hits come from infield singles. Yeah. Obviously the shoulder isn't related to his legs, but if he wants to make a more conscious effort to stay on the field, he's not going to go all out all the time, uh, especially on ground balls. Understand, so, too, understand too that he broke his back swinging a bat. Like, in the COVID year, swings. he broke his bat and he's had hamstring issues before. So, like, I, I I really think it's in his best interest and in the organization's interest, you know, the same team that just signed him to a 14-year deal uh, to tell him to relax a little bit and to not steal as much and to not run as much. And honestly, 
if that means that he only steals, because the guy is an unbelievable base runner. He barely ever gets thrown out. I can't tell you how many times he's gone to second base. They've called him out. The Padres have challenged it or reviewed it, and he's been called safe. He's an unbelievable base runner. Um, so, like, if he gives you 10, 15, 18 stolen bases, and you're, the, the trade-off is he plays more games, I think you, you take that 10 times out of 10, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just that um, if he's going to, you know, not play as hard, um, he could see the yeah the reduction in steals. Maybe, like I said, the reduction in average. He loses some of those infield singles from not running all out. But additionally, uh, to your point, he's an injury risk other than the shoulder. Oh so yeah. So that's that's yeah. what would make me that where I'm teetering between wanting him and not wanting him. I think that's what makes me not want him is that he's, he's already injured. And on top of that, he's an injury risk. I, I he had also, he had to, he had to change his swing. He's got to swing with two hands, uh, follow through with two hands instead of one. I don't know how much that affects him really, but he's got to make so many adjustments just to stay healthy that uh, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me taking him this high. He also is, I mean, you you will only get this from like watching the Padres play like I do basically all the time. He is, uh, uh, in every sense of the word, a free swinger. The guy swing, has never seen a pitch that he doesn't think he could hit 500 feet. Like, and he cannot hit sliders low and away. And people like his rookie year when he came up, they were absolutely bludgeoning him with sliders low and away. And he still swings at them. So like from a batting average standpoint too, he is a hundred percent susceptible to going into slumps. And it has happened before where he looks like, and he, even when he came up first of all, like he absolutely tore the league up in his rookie season. He was horrible the first month. Uh, and it was the same thing with him every year in the minor leagues. He always starts super slow and he's, he's susceptible to slumps. Cause the guy swings at everything. Like I like batting average wise, this is not a 300 plus guy. This is a the 270, 280 guy who dr- hits the ball super hard. Uh, he could e- easily hit 40 bombs every single year. He's going to bat lead off. The Padres bat him lead off all the time. He is their table setter. He's going to bat at the top of their lineup, um, a lineup that should be better. Like there are so many good things about the T's, but there is an equal amount of bad things about him from a fantasy standpoint. And it, it, it kills me to say that because he is my favorite player and always will be. But like, if you're putting a ton of money into this thing, you cannot take him number one overall. You just can't. I wouldn't even, I probably wouldn't even take him above some other guys. Like I'd have to look at the ADP, but I mean, like his max pick is six. That's not that crazy. No, it's not that crazy. Um, the next guy we're going to talk about, Bo Bichette. I, I think you can take Bo Bichette over Tatis and be a lot more comfortable and still get, you're not getting 40 homer upside. But you could get 30, 25 with yeah. 300 average and a shit ton of runs and RBIs. I would just rather have that than have to worry about every single time Tatis takes a swing next year, you're, you're going to be like holding on the edge of your seat. Yep. If, you, if you watch baseball every day like we do, I couldn't, I don't think I could roster Tatis. I'd lose my mind every seat. Like every time he holds his shoulder, I'd be like, oh, I'm done. Dude, try having him. Try having him and being like a diehard Padres fan. Last oh, year, yeah. last, last year, year been hell for you. Last year took uh, probably like a year and a half off my life. Um, <laughs> Especially anyway, how they played too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on here to Bo Bichette at number three. He's the third average shortstop going around pick number five with a min of three and max of nine. Uh, pretty nutty season last year. He's 23 years old, going to be 24 by the time the season starts. Slash 298, 343, 484. So that's a pretty good line. But where he really, really returned some immense value for you from a fantasy standpoint, 29 home runs. 25 stolen bases, 121 runs scored, and 102 RBIs. Um, I mean, they're not going to be playing in Dunedin this year or Buffalo or whatever, but the Blue Jays still have a ton of talent in that lineup. He's going to be right at the top of it, uh, you know, presumably hitting in front of Vlad, Teoscar Hernandez, a really good young group there in Toronto. Um, I love Bo Bichette. I mean, I don't know how you don't love Bo Bichette, basically. He's so fun to watch, too. Um, the reason why I love Bobachet this early is that I think there's, I think he can take another step. Um, obviously, he's only 23 years old, but the ground ball rate is atrocious. So he had essentially um, a fifth, almost a 50% ground ball rate and was still able to hit 30 homers, which is incredible. Um, so if he's able to hit the ball in the air more, uh, you're, we're talking about 35 homers, maybe even more, which is insane from uh, like, he's only 24 years old. He hits the crap out of the ball. 115 max EV, 10% barrel rate. If he just improves that ground ball rate a little bit, I, I mean, the ceiling is insane. Not to mention that, um, his chase rates ridiculously high, um, I know that might, that might just be the player he is moving forward in terms of the chase rate, but there's just these little adjustments he can make um, that could just, he could be the number one fantasy player next year. I really wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he gives you uh, more of a ceiling, honestly, offensively than Trey Turner does. Um, You know, I know that a lot of people do like Trey Turner, but I think from a power standpoint, uh, you know, if he starts to elevate the ball more, which I think the Blue Jays have shown they can get that out of guys. I mean, Vlad is is the perfect example of that, but they do have other guys in their system, in their organization that do hit the ball hard and hit the ball in the air. Um, I, I think Bichette could be a 40 homer guy. I really do. I think he has that power and he's just a minor tweak away from that happening. So do you think uh, do you think Mookie Betts is a good comp for Bichette? Like I feel Mookie like I feel like when he was when he was in Boston, basically. Yeah, when Mookie Betts was 24 years old, I think, like, I just see like the really quick hands, um, the ability to put the bat on the ball. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like if he puts it all together, I think he has like Mookie Betts potential offensively. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I agree in terms of like you know everything, but B- Betts' career high in a single season of home runs is is thirty two. I I really think Bichette could get more than that. I really do. Um, he had twenty nine last year as, as a twenty three year old. Betts did that when he was twenty six. So like, I think there is um, another power level to Bichette to like to his game. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, yeah, I, I think he's a stud. I think he's got the lineup around him. I mean, hitting in front of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is definitely going to help you out. Uh, so, Losing Simeon does hurt him a little bit, but uh, he's still going to have a ton of runs in RBIs. Maybe not as many because, obviously, they're replacing Simeon with 
Kevin Biggio. Yeah, Kevin <laughs> that's a pretty Biggio. big drop off. But maybe instead of a hundred and two RBIs, he has ninety RBIs. Yeah, yeah. But if he hits 35, 40 home runs, it doesn't really matter. Could so. make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Mark Simeon, he's number four on here. We've talked about him, I think, plenty. I don't think we need to talk more about him. Go listen to our second base podcast where we kind of dove deeper into him. The guy I'm interested to talk to you about here is number five, Tim Anderson. Going at 36 on average with a min of 26, a max of 45. Uh, you hate Tim Anderson, Mr. Venancio, and you need to answer for that. Um, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I got absolutely bludgeoned on Twitter after putting my um, my top 10 shortstops for next season. Obviously, it's early and the list could change. But um, so there's a few reasons why I, I don't – it's not that I hate Tim Anderson. I just feel like it's a combination of – I think there's a few paths to him not living up to that draft price. One of them being – so over the past three years, he's had some lower lower body issues. And I don't know if that's the reason why this is happening, but I remember Paul Spohr po- pointed this out, I think going into 2020, and I had never realized it. Tim Anderson has a huge first, second half split of stolen base attempts. What the reason is for that, I, I don't know. Um, but so, for example, in 2021, he had 21 stolen base attempts in the first half. In the second half, he had four. Uh, bear with me. I have to go through Fangrass and just change the year. In 2019, he had 19 stolen base attempts in the first half, only three in the second half. It's like, so it's like, that's weird. Why is that happening? In 2018, he had 26 stolen base attempts in the first half and eight in the second half. So I'm just thinking, why is that happening? And the only logical thing I can think of is that he either breaks down towards the end of the year or he you know he just he just gets injured um which i guess is the same thing so he breaks down at the end of the year so he stops stealing so my thought process is why wouldn't the white Sox just tell him to stop stealing as much right i mean that was just you'd rather have him on the field for 162 games than have him play 120 games and steal in a couple extra bases like that doesn't do anything for you so that's my one concern i think there's a chance and obviously, I can't predict the future. I don't know. Maybe it's not next year he does it. Maybe it's the year after. There's a chance that Tim Anderson doesn't steal as many bases. You know, that's – I don't know. I just think it's bizarre that he just stops stealing bases in the second half of every season. Uh, the the next, next reason is his ridiculously, ridiculously high BABIP. In 2019, he had a 400 BABIP. In 2021, it came down to 372. Um, career, he has a 353 and steamer projection for a 332. Obviously, all those numbers are very different. The 20 point drop off at each level is insane and could make a huge impact on his fantasy relevance. So now there's two things. He's rely, you're relying on Tim Anderson um, attempting 20 stolen bases in the first half of the season um, because it, it appears that he's not going to attempt stolen base in the second half of the season. So let's say he gets injured in the first half of the season, right? Maybe he pulls his hamstring or something in the first half. Then he stops stealing altogether. Then the next thing, his BABIP can go down to 350. That would make his average go down to 280. Let's say his BABIP drops to 
340. I mean, that's still 340 is still 50 points above average. I believe 290 is the average Babbitt. 50 points above average is still really high. I, I just don't see him sustaining a 370, 380 Babbitt. So there's a chance he stops stealing as much. There's a chance he's a 280 hitter. And on top of that, his ground ball rate is going in a very bad direction. In 2018, his ground ball rate was 46%. 2019, his ground ball rate was 48%. 2020, his ground ball rate was 54%. 2021, it went even higher at a 55%. And not only that, his ground ball to fly ball rate last year was 2.5. So he's hitting two and a half ground balls for every fly ball. That's atrocious. So even though he was still able to hit 17 homers in 123 games, I'm not so sure he can do that again, have, hitting at, with a 55% ground ball rate. So the fact he's going 34 in drafts, I get it. He's a safe, quote-unquote safe, 300 hitter, 20 homers, 20 steals. I just think in this top 10, if you were to say well, who's the most likely player to bust, I think it's Tim Anderson. And additionally, I have a weird sort of strategy where if I'm playing a bunch against a bunch of sharp people, I have to take risks that may, I don't think Tim Anderson's going to be good next year, so I'm not going to draft him. Everyone else that's sharp is going to be on him. So that's a kind of an edge that I can create for myself and, you know, fade Tim Anderson at the hopes that all those things happen next year and he does bust. I don't, I don't know. I know that was a lot, but it's, it's that's, interesting. My, that's, my, that's my thought process. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anyone say those things about Tim Anderson, but when I was prepping for this episode and deep diving into shortstops, I like him the least out of the guys in the top 10. I think it would be interesting if there was a way – to take like I know and I know it's like on average but if you could find a way to break off his first half and second half sprint speed like by year to see if like that's really the case um I have a friend that's good with Savant I can um I can look that up and try to find it for the next episode that would be that would be pretty interesting because like I'm looking at a spray chart right now right and like a lot of the balls he hits are like most of his hits most of his singles are infield singles like this is a guy who he gets has on, a, his infield single percentage last year was 11 percent. that's really high he gets on top of the baseball he pounds the ground the ball into the dirt and he lets uh his 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 wheels play he's a frail guy 6'1 185 it's not very big like i i totally get where a guy who is totally dependent on you know hitting the ball on the ground and 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 beating it out could break down and 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 it seems like there's some substance to that argument so um if he stops running he gives you no power essentially right like 18 home runs last year a max cv of 110 he only pulled two home runs <laughs> so 16 of his 18 home runs were to the opposite field basically um that's 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 a little bit alarming for me i would say so like he doesn't hit the ball super hard hits the ball on the ground He's relying on his, uh, on, on his speed. He's 20. He's going to be 29 years old. Um, I guess the only thing you have going for him is that he's going to bat towards the top of a pretty good lineup. Uh, last year, he only scored uh, 94 runs, but he didn't drive. Uh, he only drove in 61 runs. So, like, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I guess I would rather have uh, Xander Bogarts and the guy we're going to talk about next year and Trevor Story over Tim Anderson. I think Trevor Story is a, a, a pretty good bounce back candidate, a guy that we can just kind of transition into now. But uh, it's interesting. I, I, 
I had never heard of that. I think you may, you brought up a good point there. Um, so definitely something worth diving into, but we'll, we'll move on here. Trevor's story, obviously we've known him in the past as a, of a very successful player for fantasy, uh, 2018 and 2019, he went 30 plus bombs, 20 plus stolen bases. So that was good stuff right there. Led the league in swipes in the shortened 2020 year. Uh, last year, you know, kind of a down year by his standards. Honestly, I think it was just because he didn't give a shit about being in Colorado anymore. And he just stopped caring, which is probably why he stopped running. He is a free agent. So there is this inherent risk. Obviously you don't know where he's going to be. It's Trevor story. Somebody's going to sign him. So like, I don't think you have to worry about him not finding a team. Um, if I had to guess, I, I'm going to go on a limb. I think it's going to be the Cardinals. I think they're going to pony up and pay him some money. If that is the case, uh, I think that's an ideal landing spot. And I think he could definitely return first or second round value playing for a contender where he's going to care more, going to hit in a good lineup, potentially if he goes to St. Louis right in front of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, he'll probably start running more. He's only 29 years old. He's entering his prime years. Uh, I think he's a very good uh, candidate to bounce back to what he used to be. Yeah, I love story. Um, my one issue is, like you said, he could go to the Cardinals. That could really hurt his power. Um, he's usually, so let's say the last three seasons, he had 37, 35, and 24 homers. Coors isn't as friendly to home runs as you think it is, but it's way better of a park um, than St. Louis. Louis, than Bush, yeah. Bush Stadium. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Bush Stadium. So let's say he goes to the Cardinals. His run scored and RBIs are going to go way up. Um, They're a team that likes to steal. So maybe his steals stay in the 20 to 25 range. Um, I'd probably expect him to hit 250, 270, maybe with 20 to 25 homers. Um, I think I like him more than Tim Anderson, but I have to see where he goes. So I think it's tricky to take Trevor's story right now. He's going on average pick 40. So that's in the third round. He's fallen as far as the fourth round. It's a good pick. I just am a little hesitant because I don't know where he's going to play. And additionally, I didn't think about this. You remember the year that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado signed? They didn't sign until like halfway through spring training. No, Machado signed in February. Okay, the Harper signed really late. He signed like a, like a week or two after him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's still pretty late, though. That's, you know, in the middle of spring training. Yeah. What if the lockout doesn't stop until March 1st? What, where, when is Trevor Story going to sign? Yeah. Maybe he signs a week later, two weeks later. That's still like two weeks before the season starts. Yeah. So maybe he doesn't. So, he could, he could get off to a late start. What if he doesn't, what if he only sees live pitching for two weeks before the season starts or a week before the season starts, that could kind of hurt him in the beginning of the year. Um, so it's just for draft champions right now, obviously if the lockout stops in February, he has plenty of time, but drafting right now, I think he's a lot, he's a tiny bit of a risk taking in the third round. I don't know if that's just me being crazy, but I, I think there's a little bit there. Is there, dude, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time projecting where he's going to go. I think that um, a lot of the teams that were kind of in this market for shortstops and whatnot have already Card- gotten Card- Cardinals make sense. Cardinals make sense. I, I mean, I, part of me thinks like the, the Yankees make a little bit of sense. I don't know if that's even a, like a feasible possibility. 
Um, I sure as hell hope you wouldn't go to the Dodgers. I'd probably probably stop watching baseball or something. But uh, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting. The Cardinals, to me, makes the most sense. But let's move on here. We'll kind of keep this rolling here. Uh, Xander Bogarts coming in behind Trevor Story at number seven. Really basically going on average only a few picks behind him uh, around pick 44, min 34, max 56. You kind of know what you're getting out of Bogarts, right? He doesn't run, but it's good all-around contribution, good batting average. Uh, you know, if you play in, a, in an OBP league, he gets on base. Uh, you know, more of a doubles hitter than a home run guy. You know, 2019, 52 doubles. Holy shit. Last year, 34 doubles as opposed to 23 bombs. 79 RBIs and 90 runs scored. He did miss some time last year, only about 600 plate appearances, but it's going to be towards the top of a good Boston Red Sox lineup. Uh, how do you feel about Xander Bogarts? It seems like everybody loves the guy. So, Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a great hitter. Um, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. In terms of fantasy, he's going to give you, like you said, 25 homers. He's going to give you maybe three to five steals. A ton of counting stats because he bats towards the top of an amazing Boston lineup. And that park is more friendly to doubles than homers, which could be one of the reasons why um, he's not a 35 homer guy. Instead, he's a 25 homer guy, aside from the outlier 2019 season. The one thing digging deep into all these players, I didn't realize that Bogarts is only is a fastball hitter. He does not hit all speed and breaking pitch as well at all, which really surprised me because he's such a great, like, hitter, not just, like, from a statistical standpoint or anything. He's just a great hitter. You know, he hits the ball to all fields. He can hit homers, doubles, singles. I, I don't know, that just really surprised me. Not that, I, not that I think it affects his fantasy value. I was just kind of surprised how he's, like, strictly a fastball hitter. I don't know if that surprised you, too. I honestly didn't even didn't even look at that. So that's 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 a good catch there. I mean, there are some guys that um, you know strictly understand that they can't just <laughs> that they just can't hit off speed. So like they're only going to go and attack fastballs. Obviously, when the league adjusts to them, they have to make an adjustment. So that that could be a situation where uh, it's not great for him. But he's consistent, man. He produces basically every single year. So I don't, I don't really know if it's that big of a red flag potentially. Um, no, I don't, I don't think it impacts him in fantasy. I just thought it, I just thought it was really interesting, and it, it could be a scenario where he has great pitch recognition and he just doesn't swing at the all speed yeah, pitches out of the yeah. zone. And then if you throw a fastball, he crushes it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, we'll move on here. Number eight, going about four picks. So, Story Bogarts and our eighth guy is Francisco Lindor. They're all basically going within seven picks of each other, right? Story at 41, Bogarts at 44, Lindor essentially around 48, 49 with a min of 30 and a max of 59. Um, obviously when Francisco Lindor was in Cleveland, he was like essentially the next face of baseball, right? This like big smile, budding young superstar, four straight years in a row. He was an all-star 2017 to 2019. He got 30 plus bombs and 15 plus stolen bases two seasons of 30, 20 production there. Uh, he basically played every day when he was in Cleveland, he led the league in plate appearances in back-to-back -back years. Um, we haven't really seen that guy in the last couple of years. I, I'm willing to throw 2020 a little bit, you know, it, it was a, it was a 60 game sample. I'm not super into that, you know, reading too much into those tea leaves, but 
2021 with the Mets, 20 bombs, 10 stolen bases, 524 plate appearances. He only played in 125 games. So kind of a step back from what he used to be. I, I, dude, I didn't even realize he's still 28 years old. So still incredibly, incredibly young. Obviously the Mets gave him that big 10 year, $340 million contract, but how do you evaluate Lindor going into next season? We know the Mets spent money this off season. They want to win. It's going to be a better lineup. Um, you know, the team expects to hopefully build off of what was a disappointing 2021 season and get better. Um, and if that's going to happen, they're going to need him to really be the superstar that they signed him to be. In my opinion, Francisco Lindor could potentially be the steal of the draft. Um, in the last month, he's going around pick 50. I honestly think he can return first or second round value. He started off really slow, really, really slow. From June 1st until the end of the year, Lindor hit 252, 340, 482, which was a 124 WRC+. plus. He hit 16 homers, 51 runs, 52 RBIs with six steals. That's 324 plate appearances because he had the oblique injury and missed a little bit of time. So that's roughly half of a season. That's 32 homers, 12 steals, over 100 runs, over 100 RBIs, and a 252 average. Obviously, you'd like that average to be a little higher, but Lindor showed that he could be the player that he was in previous years. He just had an awful, awful April and May. Um, whether that was putting too much pressure on himself because he just signed a $300 million contract, he was getting used, used to um, National League pitchers. Obviously, he hasn't, he's, he's never played in the National League before, so he's never faced any of these pitchers before. Um, honestly, man, the last four months of the season is all I need to see that Lindor could be that player moving forward. And again, I just did all this research prepping for this video, but in my next draft, I might even reach uh, 10 or 15 picks to make sure I get Lindor because I like him more than story. I like him more than Tim Anderson. I like him more than Bogarts. I think he's a potential MVP candidate next year and will be a 30, 15 fantasy player. And uh, be one of the steals of the draft. I think the point you made about, um, you know, him, him coming over from the American league and never seeing the national league pitching before is, is something that people um, don't really, you know, usually pay attention to. Um, I think the first example of this that comes to my mind was Machado's first year in San Diego. I know he came over to the Dodgers again, it was a 60 game sample the year before, but really his first full year in San Diego, uh, it was not good. Uh, 796 OPS. Yes, he hit 32 home runs, but he was not the same Manny Machado that he was in Baltimore, that MVP caliber type player. And there is an, an adjustment period that takes place, right? Like as good as these hitters are, these pitchers nowadays, especially are equally as good, if not better. I also so, believe, I also believe Machado did the same thing where he tore it up in the second half of that year. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think anybody is going to dispute the talent of Francisco Lindor. Uh, you know, I, the oblique injury last year, the point you made about his, his final four months are all things you have, to, you have to take into consideration, right? Don't just look at the complete stat line, break it down, see what's up. 
Um, in order for him to return that value that, that you were talking about, you know, that first, second round value, that MVP type season, he's going to have to get back to that 30, 20, you know, benchmark that we have that he's done before when he's been healthy. So we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm sure that that oblique injury being a soft tissue, being a core muscle injury probably lingered throughout the season, right? Like, I think like those aren't things that just go away. It's kind of like a hamstring. Once that gets hurt once, it doesn't just go away completely. So valid points. Um, I was actually going to ask you if you preferred him over Lindor, Bogart's story, or over Bogart's story and Anderson. You already hit that on the nail. So let's move on here to probably one of the most polarizing players, him and another rookie uh, that plays for your favorite team that we'll talk about later. Uh, probably one of the most like polarizing player in draft circles right now. Um, and honestly, rightfully so. It's Wander Franco the budding superstar for the Tampa Bay Rays their their you know new 200 million dollar man just just signed him to a massive contract they saw what they needed to see truthfully he was he was unbelievable in his first uh you know taste of big league action last year 281 ABs only seven home runs and two stolen bases which is why we'll talk about how he is as a fantasy player but 288 347 463 uh slash line 53 runs, 39 RBIs. My take on Wander Franco is this, right? He's going to be an unbelievable player in terms of real life status. He's a good defender at shortstop. The Rays got their guy. Um, obviously, we know what the hit tool is, how, how some people have, you know, touted him as one of the best pure hitters we were, we're ever going to see. No doubt in my mind, he could hit perennially over the years, you know, into the 310s, into the 320s in terms of batting average. And if he's making that much contact, yes, you're going to get a 20 to 25 home run guy. I have no doubt about that. But I think this is a guy, and I know that there are a ton of people in the industry that will agree. So I'm not saying this is my only idea or, or, or my own thoughts, but I think he's going to end up being a guy who's better in real life than he is in fantasy just because of the stolen base numbers. You know, I don't know how much power you're going to get from him. Understand that next year, yes, he's a very advanced hitter, but he's still going to be a rookie, right? Rookies do struggle. Um, I don't think there's playing time concerns. I, I've, I've seen people talking about that. I really don't think the Tampa Bay Rays are going to platoon or bench a switch hitting shortstop that they just paid $200 million for. I think he's going to, you know, rack up the ABs as long as he stays healthy. But I don't think that you can take him where he's going right now at pick 51 with a min of 37, which is crazy, and a max of 65. Even that for me is too high. There's guys behind him I'd rather take. Um, obviously, I'd rather have the guys in front of him too. So what's your what's your take on Juan Franco? So my thought process is what is his path to being better than Francisco Lindor, right? What would he have to do? Let's see. He had seven home runs last year and 310 plate appearances. His barrel rate was not good, 5%. Um, his max EV isn't bad at 110 for a 20 year old. I mean, 110 is perfectly fine. Um, but he hits the ball on the ground a lot. He's uh, always he hit the ball on the ground, too, by the way. That's the key. Always, he's always done that. Yep. He's always done that. If you look at A ball, high A, triple A, he's always hit the ball on the ground a lot. So, what would be his path to being better than Lindor? He'd have to um, start elevating the ball a lot more than he always has at 21 years old. Remember, he's 21 years old a year older than 20 to expect that from a 21 year old is a lot. Additionally, he had a 311 Babbitt last year and hit 288 in order for him to be better than Lindor. He'd probably have to hit 320 
So his BABIP would have to go up about 30 points. Additionally, he is a horrible base stealer. Um, he attempted three stolen bases last year in virtually half a season. He played 70 games, basically half a season. Three stolen base attempts. Um, in AAA last year, he went five for nine in stolen base attempts. Year before, he went 14 for 23 and then four for nine. Horrible stolen base numbers. Ter- just terrible. Again, he's 21 years old. Bo Bichette wasn't a good base stealer, and last year he learned how to steal bases. But that's three things he has to significantly improve on to be uh, a, as good of a fantasy player as Trevor Story, Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor. So many things. And obviously, he's going after these guys, so I get that. But I just don't think he's in their tier. I don't think he deserves to go this high. Those are three huge things that have to go his all have to go his way to provide value as a top 50 fantasy player. Yeah. And I think the appeal and honestly, the reason why he's going so high, it's because it's, it's that sexy prospect status, right? Like he's been the top prospect for a long time. Like, Oh man, this is Wander Franco. This is the guy that everybody said was going to be good. And he's probably going to be awesome. He's probably going to have a great career, but it's year two in the big league. It's not even year two. It's basically year one. He's only had a half a year in the big leagues. Like, go ahead. So two comps I think are really good for him. Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor. I think that's the player he ends up being. And Jose Ramirez, it took him 1,200 plate appearances to be an elite fantasy player. And, and Ramirez is a really good base stealer, unlike Franco. But Ramirez had a 10% K rate, 7% walk rate as a 23-year-old with 11 homers and 22 steals. The next year, he had 20 homers and 17 steals, 29 homers and 17 steals as a 24-year-old. Like, that's probably Wander Franco's best-case scenario, no? And that's with Ramirez being a much better base stealer. Francisco Lindor came into the league as a good base stealer. In his second full season, as a 22-year-old, he had 15 homers and 19 steals and hit 300. I just... I don't... Do you think that's the best-case scenario for Franco? End up being... Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor as a 21-year-old? Yeah, like, I, mean, not I think he, he has to hit that best-case scenario. I think a good comp for him is Xander Bogarts, honestly. Um, yeah, that's, Bogarts runs a lot less. Yeah, that, that's probably a better comp. Yeah, Bogarts, you know, 2016 Bogarts at 23, was a 294 hitter, 34 doubles, 21 home runs, and, and 13 stolen bases. I mean, I think at Wander Franco's best year, he gives you 10-plus steals. Um, I do think there's, you know, there's, there's, there's room for him to hit 30 home runs, you know, one or two years, I think with a guy that makes that much contact, even if he doesn't hit the ball super hard. Um, and as that launch angle, you know, if it is to steadily improve, I think all those put together with how good of a hitter he is and the bat to ball skills could give you some sneaky power where he's like sneaking balls over the fence and whatnot. But I think Bogarts in terms of what he is right now um, is a pretty good comp, uh, which is an amazing hitter. I mean, a guy who's going to play every day, going to stay on the field, you know, rack up the ABs. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I want people guy. to be confused. I think Franco is going to be that good. It's just, is he going to be that good next year? I, uh, how am I supposed to know? Yeah, you just, you just, you just can't take him at 51. Honestly, I, I don't even know if I could take him at 65. I, I, I wouldn't feel good about it, but 
All right, so 10, 11, 12, and 13 are guys we've already talked about. That's going to be Javi Baez, Jazz Chisholm, Corey Seager, and Jorge Polanco. We've, we've talked about all of them on separate podcasts, so we're not going to you know really spend that much time talking about those guys. Now, before we move on, we kind of have to speed things up a little bit here, but Mr. Venancio, yesterday on Twitter, at Ven underscore Armbarn, you tweeted your early shortstop ranking for the 2022 season. Now, uh, you know, I don't think it was really interpreted as a fantasy list. Um, I think there were people that thought that you were saying these guys are, uh, this is the order of how they are in terms of talent, which if that was the case, I'd probably agree with some people shitting on you, but it's a fantasy <laughs> list. So here's the top 10, according to Mr. Bernancio, you got Trey Turner and Bo one, two, Tatis at three, Lindor, as he was talking about earlier, at four, you know, willing to reach for that guy. Trevor Story at five, Marcus Simeon at six, Javi Baez at seven. Here's where things get interesting, okay? Number eight, from your Kansas City Royals, Bobby Witt Jr., Xander Bogarts at nine, and Willie Adamas at ten. So, we have not talked about Bobby Witt Jr. or Willie Adamas yet. The floor is yours. Defend yourself. So, what I want from my shortstops are home runs and stolen bases. And I get that Xander Bogarts is going to be a better hitter next year than Bobby Wood Jr. There's no doubt about that. But I do think there's a real actual chance Bobby Witt has a higher, higher home run total and a much higher stolen base total. Last season between double A AA and triple A, he played 123 games. He attempted 40 stolen bases in 123 games. Let me sure, make sure I did that math right. 21. Yeah, he's tempted 39 stolen bases in 123 games. The Royals love to run. Nicky Lopez, Mondesi, Merrifield, they all steal a ton of bases. Bobby Witt had a 9% walk rate in AA and AAA. So we could probably expect his walk rate to be between 7 and 8 in the major leagues. His strikeout rate went down as he went up levels. I expect him to hit 260, 270 with a 340 or so OBP. And I really think he can steal 30 bases next year. They're going to let him run. He's going to play every day. They already came out and said that third base job is his to lose. He's not losing it. I know this sounds crazy, but I really think he's the next Acuna, Tatis, Wanda Franco, and he just takes the league by storm immediately. He's that talented. 145 WRC plus in double A. Same thing in triple A. He's going to bat second. He's Or he's going to bat fifth in that Kansas City Royals lineup. I don't know if they're going to go Witt one. Uh, I'm sorry, Witt Merrifield one, Bobby Witt two, and then followed up with Salvador Perez and some of the other batters. Or they could put all their proven guys in the top four and have Witt settle in at five. Regardless, I think he, if he bats second, I think he can have 90-plus runs scored. If he bats fifth, I think he can have 90-plus RBIs. The ceiling is insane, and I know people are going to be scared of rookies because of what happened to Kalenic. But you have to realize Kalenic got called up in May, right? And he had never played at AAA before. So he made his triple – he played in AAA for like two weeks because the minor league season started late. Came up in May, really struggled. They sent him back down. When he got called back up, he was good. He stole bases and hit a lot of homers. If Kalenic was on the Royals last year, he would have played 150 because they wouldn't have cared. They wouldn't have sent them back down because the reason why the Mariners sent them down is because they were, they were actually competing. They were actually a decent team. 
The Royals don't care. They're going to, they're going to, Bobby Witt is going to struggle in the big leagues. I fully expect him to struggle at some point next year. He's going to stay in the big leagues because he's their future of the franchise. And he's going to hit 20 plus homers, steal 30 bases, hit 250, and have great RBI and run totals because he's going to either bat second or fifth in an approved Royals lineup, I think will be a lot better than it was in years past. That's the reason why I'm so high on him. And what people are going to say to me, oh, well, he could struggle like Kalenic. Even if he does, he's still going to give me 30 steals and a lot of runs scored because he's going to play every single day at third base or shortstop. He's the future of the franchise. He's not getting sent down. I promise you, he's not. And even if he starts the third week of April, he's not going to sit. He's going to play every day. He's going to bat in the top of the lineup every day. He's going to steal bases like crazy. That's just how that, I've, rocked, I've watched the Royals a bunch for the last decade. They're very aggressive with prospects, and they let their guys run. So even if he stinks like Kalenic, he's still going to steal so many bases. And on top of that, you're getting wit for anywhere from pick 80 to 110. So he's got about a 90 ADP right now. I, I know it sounds crazy, but I do my research. Uh, I've, I've played fantasy for a bunch of years. I've seen the type of prospects that struggle. I've seen the type of prospects that thrived. And I think Bobby Witt checks a lot of boxes and fits with the prospects that thrive um, just based on all those factors. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest thing is going to be like, if he's up, um, I think he's in the perfect organization to be up. I think, you know, we saw with Jackson Coar and, and, and Brady Singer and, and whatnot that, that the Royals, like you mentioned, are not scared to bring guys up. So I don't think that's really a concern for me. You know, I, if people remember, they almost, they, they were talking about bringing him up last year. If they were uh, in the wild card race, he would have came up last year. Yeah. So, I mean, like you have a super talented guy. I mean, uh, essentially consensus or, you know, he's, he's a top two, top three consensus prospect in all of baseball. He was number two overall pick in the draft. Dad was a big leaguer. Um, like there is a ton of, from uh, a, a, an actual on the field standpoint, he checks a ton of boxes. Um, again, it's a perfect fit because the Royals like to run like absolute crazy. Um, so like if he's playing, if he's healthy, if he's up, I don't see a, a, like an avenue where he doesn't steal at least 20 bases or gives you 20, 20. Um, you know, I, I understand why people are, are, you know, risk averse. There's going to be guys that will not take, you know, take this shot. But if what you're saying is true and you get him at pick 90 where he's on average going right now, it's a league winner. Like you can win in overall with Bobby Witt Jr. on your team. He can be the guy. He can be, I mean, maybe not 50 stolen bases, but he can be Alberto Mondesi with 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. If he does that, or even if he goes 20-30, he's playing every day. He's going to bat towards the top of the lineup. And also, what do the Royals have to lose? If they're not competing next year, is that going to keep them from running? No. Is that going to keep them from playing him if he's not playing well? No. He's the, he's the future of their franchise, like you mentioned. I think he plays every day. So if he's up, he's in the perfect organization that's aggressive enough to do that. I think you can be comfortable taking Bobby Witt here at pick 95. Um, going three – let me ask you this, okay? Let's see how good you feel about Bobby Witt. Going 
literally two or three picks before him on average is Carlos Correa. All right. Carlos Correa, you know, all the talent in the world. We don't have to go into him. Like we know he struggles to stay on the field, struggles to stay healthy, has only put up more than 600 plate appearances twice. Not a surprise that he did it this past year in a contract year, still 27 years old, currently does not have a team. Okay. Let's say Mr. Financio opens up the NFBC page and he gets into a draft tonight. You're drafting tonight, bro. You, John Fish, Zach Waxman, you guys are in your you <laughs> drafting today. All right. Who you take? Carlos Cray or Bobby Witt? Oh, Bobby Witt, not even not even hesitating a little bit. Bobby, Bobby Witt, it's not even close. Bobby Witt or Corey Seeger? Bobby Witt. Again, not even close. Okay. Bobby Witt. Or, I mean, I guess I don't have to go through this because we have your rankings. So, um, all right. Well, cool, cool, cool. I was interested to see what you had to say there. Uh, it was good. It was really good stuff. So, uh, Willie Adamas is number 10 on your shortstop, on your individual shortstop rankings. Obviously, he came over and he had a phenomenal season with the Milwaukee Brewers. Kind of honestly, since they traded for him, you know, I think it was in May, really turned their season around, sparked that big playoff run they had. The Brewers are really good. I think they're a team very capable of winning a World Series. So, um, you know, when he was traded from Tampa Bay to Milwaukee, you know, there was those that article came out where like he just couldn't see in the trop. That's why he was struggling to hit uh, last year with the Brewers, 25 home runs, only five stolen bases, but a 262, 337, 481 slash. Um, he's never been a guy that runs a lot. So are you just expecting him now, a 26 year old who's going to be a full season acclimated uh, to the National League in a good ballpark, in a division with good ballparks? with bad teams to terrorize. Are you just expecting him to unlock a new step and take that next level to being, you know, truly elite level fantasy producer? I will say that I forgot Jorge Polanco was shortstop eligible when I made that list. So I think I'd have Polanco ahead of Willie Adamas. And then, you know, maybe Tim Anderson comes right after them. So the 10, 11, 12 is really close between Adamas, Anderson, and um, Polanco for me. But Again, going into Adamas, from June 1st on, he had 281, 361, 517, 132 WRC+, plus, 18 bombs, 56 runs, 50 RBIs, and four stolen bases. His strikeout rate went down because, like you said, he had trouble seeing in the trop. So now moving to Miller Park, his strikeout rate went down about 4 or 5%, which is huge. Um, he posted a 340 BABIP. The dude hits the crap out of the ball. So I think he can sustain somewhat close to that. Maybe it goes down to 320. I expect him to be a 260 to 280 hitter. And I honestly think he, he has 35 homer power. Like he really does. He, he elevates the ball and hits the ball really hard. Um, it's surprising to see his um, uh, batted ball metrics, but the dude has legit 30 homer power. And you're getting 30 homers with five, over five, maybe five to eight stolen bases, 260 to 280 average. His draft position right now is a joke. Like the fact that he's going at pick 146, that's insane. I, I mean, again, I just started all my research. So I've done a few drafts already. I don't have any Adamus shares, but moving forward, I, I could reach 40 picks for Adamus just to make sure I get him. I, you shouldn't ignore ADP, but I, I absolutely love Adamus at 150. I think it's one of the better picks in the draft you can make. Okay, real quick here. We're going to blitz through this. Uh, so 
Uh, Carlos Correa is going at 14 um, at pick 92 on average. We talked about Bobby Witt at pick 95. 16 is Jake Cronenworth at pick 120 on average. We've talked about him uh, pretty extensively in previous episodes. Um, 17, 18, 19, and 20 is Swanson, Dansby Swanson, Willie Adamas, Chris Taylor, Glaber Torres. Okay. We just talked about Adamas, Chris Taylor. We've hit on already really quick in 35 seconds or less. Will you be drafting Dansby Swanson or Glaber Torres in 2022? Probably not because I like Adames a lot there. And I like Chris Taylor a lot there for the versatility and the homer to speed. Dude, Dansby, um, Dansby Swanson sucks. I just like, <laughs> I can't get over how much he sucks. He's a, yeah. I mean, in fantasy, he's not bad, but you know, he played, he plays every day. He yeah. played 162 games last year. And you know, I think the homers are legit, but I, I think you can get maybe four or five steals from him and a bad average. And then if he doesn't play 162 games, the counting stats won't be as good. I don't know how Swanson's going ahead of Adamas. I don't know how that's physically possible. All right. I am going to, so now we've, we're, we're in the 20 plus range. I'm going to give you some names. I like, okay. Um, this is going all the way down. So then you give me some names you like, or shit on the names that I like, right? It's a fun game. We play. All right. So 25 pick 195 on average, Brandon Crawford, guy that I like, is going to play every day, elite defender in a DC. I think he has enhanced value plays for the giants, unlocked a new level last year. I understand he's old, but you're going to get a guy who does have some injury risk attached to him, but as long as he's on the field, he's playing every day. He's one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, had a big time season last year. I think there's some decent value there. O'Neill Cruz at 261. I understand, you know, there, he, he does play for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are fairly terrible, but he's a freak. Um, he is one of their future uh, key pieces. I think he'll be up for a good chunk of the year. He hits the ball very, very hard. Okay, 118 mile per hour max EV. Definitely worth a shot potentially later on. Um, if you really need somebody, he sucks. Okay, he's really bad. But in the D.C., guys that play every day and run a little bit, J.P. Crawford for the Seattle Mariners is a really good defender at shortstop. He's going to play every single day. Miguel Rojas is kind of the same way at pick 340. Again, he's not good, but he stole 13 bases last year. He can give you like a 265 or 270 average. And if Edmundo Sosa ends up being the everyday shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals, I think there is some value there at pick 360. Also, Keep this name in mind, Bryson Stott of the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I think this guy's a dude, an absolute dude. He tore it up in the AFL. It's an awesome swing. They've already came out and said that he's going to be competing for a spot in spring training. He's ready. He's been up in AAA. He's going at pick on average 500 right now with a min of 299 and a max of 577. I'm not saying take him at 299, but if we're going off ADP, which you should not ignore, at pick 500, um, I think you're going to get a, an everyday player in Philadelphia. So, I'm a fan of a lot of those guys you said. Um, Crawford, obviously, the reasons you said, he made huge adjustments to his fly ball rate <clears throat> um, and pulling the ball in the air in 2020 and it carried over to 2021. Um, you, one really big lesson I learned is you want to value the most recent data that you have you shouldn't look at what Crawford did in 2017, 2018, his entire career. You should look at the most recent data. He's a different player now than he was before. So treat him as such. Uh, I love Crawford, uh, the pick he's going. Um, we talked about Ha Sung Kim 
in recent yep. episodes. Love him at 370. Uh, Bryson Stott and O'Neill Cruz, like you said, are really good rookies to bet on because they're going to play a lot. Um, I tweeted today about how bad the Pirates opening day roster is. I would be stunned if O'Neill Cruz didn't make that team. Stunned if they, if he didn't make it out of spring training. Uh, that team's fucking terrible. There's yeah, no way. Really there's no way they send him to AAA. It makes it would make no sense whatsoever. They need to show. They can't have Kevin Newman playing shortstop for three for a month. It it, just, it would make no sense. So love O'Neill yeah. Cruz. Love Bryson Stott. Uh, wide open position at uh, shortstop for the Phillies, and he's a power speed guy. Um, I would like to add, uh, JP Crawford was a really good call too. Um, he is a really good player in DC. Can I interest you? Can I interest you at pick six Oh three, my guy, Alcides Escobar, (laughs) (laughs) man. I mean, he's projected to be the starting shortstop for the nationals. It's just how long the nationals have no farm system. So who's taking his, who's taking his job? They'd have to sign somebody. I don't know. Is some... can, Lu- can Luis Garcia, the second, no, second baseman, play shortstop? No, he's can he play base. shortstop? No, I think he's the second baseman. I don't he's, think I don't, they don't have anyone to take his job. So I, I think he's a great pick. Um, yeah. Jeremy Pena is a good pick if the Astros don't re-sign Correa, which is looking, you know, where can Correa go? The Yankees, the Astros, and the Cardinals? It's slim pickings. I don't I, know. I don't know. I don't know who else. So there might be a good chance Correa goes back to the Astros. So I don't know if Pena is a great pick, but it's a decent dart throw at 570. Other than that, oh, one name that I absolutely love, Tyler Wade at pick 460. This guy is going to steal a shit ton of bases. He's a really good defender. He got traded to the Angels this offseason. I've been trying to get him in almost – I got him in almost every draft that I did so far. He's projected to be their starting shortstop. He's got – He's personally, got I don't third base shortstop and outfield eligibility. Personally, I don't think the Angels are going to sign Correa or Story. No, I mean, I don't think so. I think Wade's going to play every day at shortstop. He's a great defender. He stole, I, I think he stole 15 bases last year. He stole and, 17 bags last year. And w- what did he have? Uh, 200 100, plate appearances? 145 plate appearances. Uh, yeah, I mean, I That's think absurd. he's absurd. I think he can steal 30 bases easy and he's going he is to a left-handed late. hitter too. So he is like, he, if, if for some reason there was a platoon, he'd be on the strong side of it. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tyler. Man, that I, think is, he's a, I think he's a steal at pick 460. That's a good call. I'm going to have to make a note of that. All right, cool. Well, any closing thoughts here? No, that's it. I think I'm um, spent a little too much time on the top, but I feel like they're more interesting players. So. Yeah. People obviously care more about the top, but. I mean, like, really do the data mining because, like, the guys like a Tyler Wade or the guys at, at the very bottom of a draft, those can be league winners. So I think it's important, you know, obviously we all care about our, our, our top picks, our superstars. Those are the guys that we pay attention to the most. But it is the nitty-gritty grinder types at the bottom that can win you leagues. So we'll do this again next week. We will have the third base uh adp i feel like that's going to be a really boring discussion to have it seems like third base is an absolute shit show this year but again you can find me on twitter at deeks baseball you can find ryan on twitter at vent underscore armbar and i promise you he's definitely a better follower than i am from a fantasy standpoint um make sure you sub to us on apple podcast i think it's the next on deck sports network is what it is uh any five-star ratings would be greatly appreciated they make me so happy and make me smile Uh, But thanks again for listening, everybody, and have a good one.